Hey, this is Chris Kissel of Contact Wave here on Dub Lab, and my Contact Wave co-host Chuck Soho is with me as well. How's it going, Chuck? Doing pretty good, Chris. How about yourself? I'm doing great. We're here uh, well outside of our normal Sunday morning airtime because we had the opportunity to chat with Adrian Sherwood. You may be familiar with Adrian's work from one of the many different projects that he's been involved with. We talked to him about a project called New Age Steppers, which is an amazing early 80s dub project, a loosely configured collective of British and Jamaican musicians that, at least in the early years, primarily centered on Sherwood, who was a whiz in the studio back when it was more difficult to do that, and the distinctive singing of Ari Up, a name you may recognize Uh, She was the vocalist for the classic 80s proto-new wave post-punk band, The Slits. So it's an amazing sound. Uh, We were really excited to dig into it and really see how that project paved the way for music that came in the decades that followed, whether it was jungle and drum and bass or industrial. And um, perhaps not surprisingly, Sherwood, who is a producer and label owner, was involved in a lot of that music. Uh, when it ultimately came about as well. So we really enjoyed talking to him. We're going to present to you this conversation where we dig into those early days and talk to him about his processes and his thoughts on what it was like in those days and how it compares to now. And we'll close out that hour with a mix of some of the new tracks that are out. And of course, we should say that our conversation is occasioned by the release of a brand new collection This is out now on Sherwood's label, On You Sounds. This release is called Stepping Into a New Age, 1980 to 2021, and it features all four New Age Steppers releases. Those are the the original three releases that came out in the early 80s, as well as the comeback release in 2012, and an odds and ends package, a brand new one called Avant Gardening, which has some new takes and some new finds from some of those original tracks and uh, the original collaborations. So... Really excited to share that music to you, and of course, excited to share this conversation. Chuck, what else do people need to know about uh, about this conversation? Oh, it was, we had a great time chatting with Adrian, and it was so cool that he's such a big Godzilla fan and Ultraman fan. I, I was like, wow, this is great. So yeah, sit back, relax, enjoy the interview, and enjoy the selections of tracks we chose uh, to close out the hour. Enjoy our conversation with Adrian Sherwood. And of course, listen to Chuck and I every first and third Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon on Contact Wave. Here it is, Adrian Sherwood in conversation with us on dublab.com. Enjoy. Hey, Adrian, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. My, very glad we can do it. Yeah, we're, we're really enjoying the... Um, the new age steppers box set that you put out. So this is basically all of all four of the new age steppers albums that were officially released. And then there's a collection called avant gardening, which is basically a collection of other things that were recorded. Obscure, obscure leftover, but yeah, that, yeah. Some little collect collectibles in that one. Yeah. Some, some dub versions of some of the tracks and things like that. So that's also really fun to explore. 
and uh, it's been fun to sort of learn more about the history of the of that group, if you can even call it that. Really, you know, a project, a recording project that morphed a little bit over its history. But um, one thing I thought that was really interesting was, you know, that you had this very collaborative scene, and you had a few projects, and people were kind of rotating through your projects, and you were sort of masterminding these in the studio. And, you know, musicians who are coming from all different backgrounds were playing a part in this project. And so I want to start by asking, what was it about London in the late 70s and early 80s that made this kind of collaboration possible? Can you sort of paint a picture of us for what it was like there uh, for folks who who were not there? It's funny. Labrook Grove, the area, Notting Hill, Labrook Grove, it's uh, northwest London. It's... um, it was an area where the, the famous carnival came from. Also, lots of musicians. At the time, it was quite cheap to live there. Now, it, it, it's, you know, very, you know, you've got to have rich parents or something to go there. Like, the, you know, the American yuppification is not much different. But back in those days, um, if you were from Bristol, for example, the nearest train station to London was Paddington. And the nearest place to live would have been Notting Hill. You know, you could go there and live. So you'd have musicians, you know, white and black musicians coming from the West Country, settling in Labrook Grove, Notting Hill. And there was a very big West Indian community there. So it was a bit of a good melting pot and a lot of great ideas. You know, The Clash, they were were famously ensconced in, um, in, in, in the Grove. I lived in the Grove at the time uh, on a place called Goldbourne Road. And at the same time, around the corner was Viv Goldman, the journalist who contributed to this album. Um, I met Youth there from the time. You know, lots, you know, he was originally called Pig Youth instead of Big Youth. And he, um, <laughs> he was there and uh, there were lots of great Jamaicans, lots. I mean, uh, George Oban, Aswad. Um, Delroy Washington, they all came from the Grove and lots of visiting Jamaicans, they would be in the area, Keith Hudson. Um, I I, I had lots of friends who I used to meet at the Mangrove restaurant, which was, they made a little film about it recently, which was a very good, the BBC did a lovely little thing on it. And obviously it was very famous for Notting Hill Carnival. So it, it I, I was there coming from a, a Jamaican, really, because I was working with, with all, all my um, friends from the reggae area. Right. And I met people from the non-reggae area, the likes of, you know, Viv and um, Public Image, you know, lots and lots of, of people. Jeff Travis, Rough Trade were all based in there. It was a very, very cool uh, place to be at that time. And I befriended people from outside the reggae area. And also I met people who were into African music, experimental um, noise, like throbbing gristle, all sorts of weird and wonderful folk, you know. And like I said, I I became a lifelong friend with Mark Stewart, who was uh, the pop group. A lot of the Bristol crew lived in the area. After touring with the Slits in 79, and meeting, you know, Lydon, uh, Keith Levine, Wobble, all that lot, um, various other non-reggae people, but they were reggae people, really, because that's what they loved. 
They love, you know, John loved Dr. Alimentado's <laughs> Born for a Purpose. Um, it, was a, it was a healthy time. And I don't think the reggae fans were particularly liking the, the so-called new wave or whatever you wanted to call it. <laughs> uh, but they gave, they respected the fact that a lot of those musicians had similar things. You know, they were against the system. They were against the Babylonian, call it whatever you like, oppressive police, you know, the right-wing government and the uh, draconian laws to keep people down. And that the work chords met, the people got it. You know, there was the Rock Against Racism movement then the Legalised Cannabis campaign. And there were lots of things that brought people together. The Grove and Northwest London were very, very great meeting points. I also, you know, I understand that it was not the most, the, at that time in London, there was a fair amount of like racial tension and that, you know, maybe it was swinging toward uh, conservatism and that what you were doing there was fairly revolutionary in terms of having black and white musicians working together and having Jamaican and, um, you know, punk musicians working together. Did it feel like what you were doing was revolutionary not just on a musical scale but that there was something sort of socially relevant about what you were doing too i i i, if, it, it, I, I never thought about it i just did it I, I was meeting people who weren't from the reggae world basically just recording them so i was going on instinct and my, my gut feeling and also i didn't want to record you know could you could you hello baby i love you lyrics we wanted to have you know uh, we wanted to have proper lyrics yeah. And meeting the likes of, you know, working with the likes of Prince Farai and Bim Sherman, who mm-hmm. were wonderful. You know, Bim's lyrics were very thought-provoking. I think he's a very, very underrated, brilliant songwriter. And then working with great lyricists like Mark Stewart, you know, who, who his, his lyrics he, he, are fantastic. And they, they still stand up. And they were very, you know, political, if you, if you want to say, as were the mm-hmm. Jamaican ones. It was a logical thing to do to have the meeting. For, for me, at the time, the issues I had with this was that there were lots of record shops there, but there were lots of people competing to get noticed, just as people are competing to get noticed now in the world that we occupy now with our computers and the internet and people doing anything they can to get noticed. It, it was tough in those days. So I, for my part, had come, I'd already done, um, I was only... 20 years of age 21 i'd already done five albums wow um or five or six even where i contributed or actually produced a couple <laughs> joke joke i'm not some great musical genius but i was <laughs> i was a hustler and chancer <laughs> created my own my own world you know it soon became clear to me there's no point trying to make a record that sounded like channel one or studio one or joe gibbs or whatever Mm-hmm. because we couldn't do it in England. So we had to find our own sound. I'd attempted it with Creation Rebel, and thank God we had a radio DJ called John Peel who championed us. He, he, he basically helped so many people, that great man, and the likes of Steve Barker at Radio Lancashire who were playing us. But getting noticed was a difficult thing. So I thought, I'm not going to swear on air. I don't need to. I thought, I thought, damn, you know, blow it, whatever. I'm going to do what my gut instinct tells me. Uh-huh. And you know what? I really like this. I like this recording. I've got Bruce Smith, Beresford, um, and George playing. This sounds really cool. And people will go, that's really nice. And I found that I was suddenly getting people 
nowhere near the, the market or the heads who'd been listening to what I had before. But some of the other ones who had liked what we'd done before still were digging it. Well, I had a new, I had new fans emerging from the States. I started getting these mad, passionate letters from San Francisco. I was lying on the floor listening to your record. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was like thinking, God, that's what weird, what weirdo is that? And then it was so nice. It was so nice. You know, you like you suddenly people were checking it. And I hadn't thought oh, I am going to mix these people together. It was just I'd go around the corner, I'd meet George, I'd have a spliff with George, I'd go up Viv Goldman's and that was a meeting place of lots of people. I'd see um, Niney was there, Niney the Observer, very young Niney. Um, and then there was Jeff Travis living upstairs, you know, who, was, who worked, you know, Rough Trade, one of the partners in Rough Trade. And then there was a filmmaker and then there'd be Delroy Washington. Like I said, there was a Grove lot, the, the Sons of Jar, you know, where, and Bob Marley. Bob Marley used to go around to that same place and live literally... 200 yards away, he was staying amongst the Sons of Jar and um, Trevor Bow and, and, and Derek, and those were really nice people. And then there was Weasel, who's, who's passed away now, and then uh, Daddy Vigo, who's, who's passed away not too long ago, People's Sound. And, then, and so it wasn't like people weren't mixing. They did. It would be, you know, Vigo would know me. I knew Vigo from when I was like 15, and he knew the clash and then in Vigo lived in a flat and the, and the next room to his flat was Paul Simonon. And then, so it was, it was actually a very healthy scene. Yeah, uh, and it still is to a degree, the, the British music scene, but obviously it's changed with the absence of shops and pe people who can, um, are taste makers, you know, how they were in those days. And, I just stormed in because I was completely knew the whole reggae crew and I was meeting this other lot and I wasn't scared to record it. And I, um, I think looking back, apart from having my own approach to the recordings and my own vision of how I wanted the sonic to be and the minimalist approach I had, I, there weren't that many people who at, prior to then had recorded a cross fertilization of the, real deal players in the reggae world like the likes of style scott or fish clark and the real deal players from you know things as trendy as the raincoats or public image or the pop group or the slits and i had access to to them all and that's and i took advantage of it <laughs> i recorded them and uh, i'm glad i did you know you've done so much and uh wanted to ask like at this point in your career like what compelled you to go back into the back catalogs of on you sound records and like particularly like what what sparked the idea to reissue the new age deppers in particular well for me i ha i hadn't even thought um you know i didn't realize for example the vinyls haven't been pressed in thir in three decades in 30 plus years they haven't been pressed so i've been working with the record label warp who are a very good label friend good friends of ours and um I've got them handling the back catalogue for me. So like my new productions like um, Heavy Rain and Rainford from and my daughter's album, Denise Sherwood's album last, this year, last year, I, I had help getting them released. But the back catalogue specifically is with Warp. I, 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 my new productions, uh, I put some through them and whatever. 
But they were saying, look, we've got to release this. And they said, look, the people at Rough Trade want a lot. They want to buy a lot. And I didn't realise that there was as much interest in it as the, that there is. And, uh, you, know, thank, you know, great, you know, fantastic. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, the, uh, the figures they've shipped on it is, is actually, wow, I was, I was uh, impressed. But they, they, they've instigated it, not me. I haven't gone, I'll do this, do that or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, who knows how things make it into the the canon of, you know, punk or rock or whatever. But, yeah. you know, hearing these recordings, some of them, some of these tracks are so good uh, that we hadn't heard before that it's not surprising that people are, you know, especially everyone likes to put out reissues and everyone, you know, that's a very hot thing to do now. And I think, you know, these tracks are so good. I think people are really excited to introduce people to them. A, a very big presenter over here. We did like a... Um... What was it called the other day? What was it? Well, not a podcast. Was it? A po- what did they do? Um, it was a Twitter thing, a Twitter radio show linked up with something. Okay. So they've got their listenership, and they're all tuned in listening to it via some medium. I don't know how, like all live from a specific time a week ago, and they were coming back and they were going, "When was this recorded?" And then they were going, "Oh, it's forty-one years old." They said, "Shut up." And they were all thinking it was like brand new. Yeah. So when I when I had any said, mate, he said, you know, how many we've had like over forty people don't believe it's forty one years old. I think it sounds quite. I think it is nonsense, but that's what they think. <laughs> maybe maybe to make me feel good. But I did after it think, oh wow, well maybe I should play it myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> when you make a record and you listen to it intensely, intensely, or you're playing it out when you're doing little live dub shows as I do. I don't. I haven't played um, the, the the first New Age Teppers album in, in in over thirty years. Oh wow! When I heard wow. it back the other day, I was thinking, "Oh, <laughs> that sounds—it's not bad." Sounds all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing. I was laughing. Uh, I was laughing a lot to myself because I thought, "Oh, that sounds good." Well, that cues up the next thing I was going to ask you, which is, you know, when you go back and listen to these recordings, are there any tracks that stick out to you? that you are particularly proud of or that you're, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know, maybe you can see the bridge to the things that you've worked on in, in the years since. Well, I, I, I listened through the um, avant gardening and I was thinking, Oh, wow. I did, geez. I, did, I forgot about those tunes. Cause they were like really obscure, you know, like, and I just sat on them. We didn't, we hadn't put them out. And I thought, Oh, that's a lot better. Like, Cause I was convinced they were just like, um, crap, crap outtakes that I neglected to use at the time. Yeah, they weren't very good. But when I heard them back, and I've got my friends, you know, Matthew at Warp and Patrick Doctor, going, "No, wait, you know, they're really, really good." No, 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 no. And I put them on. I thought, oh, they are good. I said, "All oh, right, right." But um, I look back on all of. It. I, I, I don't, I'm not thinking, "Oh, this is great. This is great." Like like that. I just. I remember how they were put together, the spirit we put them together in, and I think that I think um, that they, they, let's put it that way. They, they brought a, a smile to, to my face. They, 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 they put a proper smile to my face. Bear in mind, they were all made in a very short space of time. They weren't something we spent like now. I might, I, you know, the last album I made with Lee Perry, I spent about a year making it. Every time I could get a bit here, a bit there, a bit here, I, I you know. I was deliberating over this, doing this, doing that. And the other things, like I've been making, I spend more, you know, a lot of time now, perhaps, whereas before it was no time to think. It was like, get the people in, 
spend the time miking it, put a speaker in the toilet, get a microphone in the toilet, send it to the toilet, do this. This is this is how I was recording. I was, these are things that are fascinating me. Yeah. Get the players in a good mood. Give them a beer and a spliff. Let's get recording. Let's get started. Right, let's mix it. Let's go home. That was how those records were done. They were spontaneous and very quick recordings done in a specific way with um, analog recording. And I can't turn around and say, oh, I've got this one's better than this one. This one's great. But I, I literally, when I played it back, I was like back in the room they were recorded on. It was very weird, you know. And I can remember the smells and the vibe and the interactions uh, of the people who were there when they were made. Well, one of the, um, I think, you know, we were talking about how folks are hearing this music and, you know, they think that it's new. Maybe part of that is because, you know, these tracks and I think particularly the contributions from Ari Up, which are so distinctive that people maybe can't believe that they didn't hear it before. Uh, they can't believe that, you know, if it was something that existed, that it wasn't something that they'd heard. Um, and obviously you had such a fertile relationship, creative relationship, um, particularly on those first couple of albums. And then you went back and recorded another album called Love Forever much more recently. And so we've been listening to that too, because that's part of the package of, of records that are getting re-released. And I'm just kind of curious about that working relationship and particularly after not having worked together for so many years and she had such a fascinating and storied career, you know, in Jamaica and doing so many different things. What compelled you to record with her again, um, you know, about 15 well, years well, ago? She, she and I were both, um, with the On You Sound thing, it was very interesting because a lot of people were sharing birth dates, but there were about 12 or 14 of us all born in January, and there are eight of us born on uh, the 20, between the eight, nine born between the 20th and the 30th of September. So we had lots of these weird kind of star signs, man, you know, that, that kind of uh, uh, star sign thing going. It was really odd, but Ari was another one. She was the 17th of January, I was the 20th. We always got on like a house on fire. And then my mate, um, who was living with my, my friend Junior, we were, we were squatting in a house. And I didn't even know they were having a relationship because I never had a relationship with her. She was my friend, a close friend, but never had any, you know, boy-girlfriend thing or anything with her. Next thing I know, she's pregnant, right, <laughs> with, with twins from Junior. And then they're going off to Jamaica. So they went off to Jamaica, and it didn't quite work out, you know, put, put this way. And then after that, she left um, his mum and the family and everything, took off with the kids, and she lived in Central America, like naked in, in a jungle with Charlie, her new boyfriend. Some absolute madness went on. <laughs> we kind of got estranged for, yeah. for years. Mm. Then we touched base. We got back again. This is like about 14 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. got back in touch again after a good decade and a half where it was like, you know, Junior wasn't seeing the kids. She cleared off to America. It's all, you know, this story is not a, a secret or anything, but mm -hmm. we got estranged. And then by the time we got back together, we, we was like we had not been apart or anything. We were together in London. She came to to, to the flat I was living in, and we, we were spending a lot of time with my kids and her kids. And then she got diagnosed with uh, cancer. Right. And she said, look, 
come to Jamaica with me. And we and she said, um, let's do some, I want to do some more recording. So I said, fine, I'll come to Jamaica. So I went over there and that album there, we made in, in like a few days on a kitchen table with a little kind of little tape machine. Oh, the way wow. that was made, you wouldn't believe how raw and basic it was. It was no kind of clever production, that Love Forever album. But mm. I think it's got some extremely charming bits on it and a couple of absolutely wonderful songs. And that album, again, it's not dissimilar in the fact it was almost cobbled. I say cobbled isn't the right word. It was crafted very quickly to the finishing <laughs> post. Yeah. I love Reverend. I, I think it's, um, you know, a testament to her talent that she just shines through on all, all the records that she's she's voiced. But that was that was a bit sad because we, you know, we did the tunes and we did um, we did that album again in, in you know maybe three weeks, including the trip to Jamaica. Yeah, you know, that was. We didn't go to a recording studio. We did it with a handheld mic. Oh wow! And on a little tiny little tiny drum machine, a little fake keyboard that made piano noises and that was it yeah well and i would obviously contrast that with the recording process for these first three records and, and i understand you know you were you know scraping everything you could together for studio time and obviously back then you know that was how you had to do it you didn't have all of these computer programs and ways that people could record all of this music at home and being experimental in those days it strikes me was a lot harder than being experimental now because I think I maybe the... I don't agree. I think it's easier to be experimental when you haven't got that many things. Now <laughs> I'll tell you what: we turn on the computer now, and we've got so many brilliant things. It's deciding what not to use, and it's like literally, you know, I've got a great analog studio, and we've got all the plugins. A lot of all, we've got loads of plugins and. Mate, some of the things you can do now is mind blowing, but it's uh, knowing what not to do. In those, in the old days, it was like, all right, I heard that Connie Plank, who was a mate of mine, bless him, wow. I don't yeah. know Connie, but he, he he was playing things through a tube and down a telephone. Well, I want to do that as well. <laughs> Let's get yeah. this. And it was it was it was actually much more uh, conducive to experimentation than it is now. Because now mm. it's like anybody can press, let's press the dub button and add a bit of delay phasing or feedback or something. And you sound like a next person. And the key is not sounding like another person. Yeah. The yeah. key is, for, is getting your own sound to separate you from the pack. And that, it was easier in those days than it is now. And now I think I've got my own sound, my own way of doing things. But that's years of experience and technique and attitude and everything but starting now you can you can be brilliant but to get something as charming you need a great vocalist mm. it's still mm. down to how good the song is no matter what you're doing because mm. you can make instrumental music all day long and it's it's good it's down to the performance and then the production to me should be second you know that is like icing on the cake but in my day i could do anything with the production and with a schooler like phil Spector or lee perry or something you knew you had to formulate your own sound. And that's yeah. what I tried to do. Now yeah. it's harder to me. Yeah. So, I mean, really it was, I guess, because what I'm thinking is, you know, you're in the studio and it's so expensive to be there that it just sounds like it takes a lot of 
I don't know, courage to be in there and to be taking risks with the sound. But perhaps what I'm hearing you saying is because you had so much confidence in, you know, the vocalist and the, and the tracks that you felt like you had a little bit of room to mess around. Yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, with, with somebody as great as Ari or Mark or any, or, or any of the players, you know, the Barrysfords and Bruce Smith, um, they're all, well, you know, I knew, you know, it was, it was exciting. And when you, when you go to do music, if you're almost going through the motions to record it, you're better off not going in the studio. You, you've got to go in, like Lee Perry always said, you know, believing you're making magic. You can't go in there believing it's just going to be okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's like go and get a job as a dentist or something and get paid that way, you know, or find a job that pays really well. But you, 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 you know, I think most artists do believe they're going to make magic when they do things. But for me, I, I was surrounded by those great players, and um, you know, we recorded them with some funny approaches. And the whole, the whole thing to me oozes charm. And that's what you've got to try and do nowadays if you're doing anything. Is you need somebody or some people on each project that inject oodles of charm to make it great i love that's that most records i think they're all oozing charm that's <laughs> absolutely yeah. no doubt yeah. um well so i think we're gonna we're gonna close out the hour playing some new age steppers tracks and so maybe if you would do us the honor if you were going to maybe introduce somebody to this project uh what you know not to put too much pressure on you what track would you would you start with Jesus, it's very difficult because if, if I'm going to, you want me to introduce a tune for you to start with? Well, or just, or just, you know, give us an idea of where to start. Like what, you know, for folks, I'm sure there's folks listening to this who haven't even heard the project yet. What would you want, you know, what, how would you turn folks onto the, to the sound? Well, I think they have to be a bit patient because you could start with the very first track, Fade Away, which mm -hmm. we covered one of my favorite songs ever written, Junior Biles' beautiful song, but added some attitude to it. Then you could go on to State Assembly or one of the instrumentals or jump to um, Love Forever or, or any of them. The, the, the thing's a combination of beautiful songs and quite nice instrument, you know, like interesting instrumental stuff on yeah. there. Um, I think just just randomly stick a track on and go from there. <laughs> I think, I think all, they've all got, uh, like I said, that charm quality about them that is missing in lots of things, perhaps because you've got too many options. We didn't have the options and we made, you know, just created this mood that, that um, and it was reflected by all these people from different backgrounds who, and cultures and whatever, perhaps shouldn't have even been in the same room together. And we come up with, um, with that record, those records. All right, well, then we definitely will play Fade Away because I think that yeah. folks, you know, that if anything, they'll probably recognize that track if they recognize any of the tracks because you know that one resonated a bit but maybe we'll start with a track that i like called mandarin and this is a a dub from the third record foundation yeah. steppers and uh we'll explore some of the stuff that you just put out on avant gardening and we'll we'll give folks a, a wide breadth and and i actually i love that song some love too that's another great um great sort of popular track so we'll throw that into yeah and the some dub dub version so um Thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. It was a so pleasure. Much. No, <clears throat> thank you. And um, yeah, nice to meet you both.